Ya'at e hello everyone. Welcome back to Neheje, our Voices in Indigenous Solutions podcast. Today we are joined by the illustrious Christina Badhand, um, who is not only illustrious, but is also an incredible illustrator. And that's part of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and let me just read her bio before we jump in. She's right here with me, but I would love to read her bio so that you know a little bit about her. And we're going to be talking about her artistry, her comic books, the IACON Indigenous Comic Convention she just put on, helped to put on in Denver, and a, a, a number of other things. So before we get started, uh, Christina Maldonado Badhand is a Sishangu Lakota and Cherokee artist from Taos, New Mexico, which is also where I'm from. Uh, her passion for community and social justice has led her to speak on matters of equality and cultural representation in pop culture. She is a graphic designer, illustrator, comic creator, and former co-chair of the Denver American Indian Commission. She has 10 years of experience teaching after school programs, most notably for her work with pop culture classroom in the comic-based literacy curriculum. Sounds amazing. Um, and she also has recently transitioned into working with the Denver Art Museum as the Creative and Public Engagement Fellow, working in the Creative in Residence and the Native Artists in Residence programs. Christina grew up traveling, singing, and dancing with her family at powwows, she spent most of her high school career independently experimenting with mixed media, participating in youth art shows, painting murals, and doing set design for her high school drama class. She entered the realm of comic and book illustration in 2013 and has been published several times since then. She remains strongly connected to her artistic network and community and can be found helping out with special events and story-based learning projects. So obviously, <clears throat> we're very lucky to have her on. Um, so Christina, so for us to start, just how did you begin getting into drawing? Like, what was the spark that that initiated that whole journey for you? One, thanks for having me. Very excited. Uh, you may hear a five-year-old every once in a while. I apologize. I'm also a mom and stepmom. <laughs> um, I started drawing ever since I could hold a pencil. Um, I did a lot of like drawing competitions with uh, my best friend at the time would draw something and I'd draw it trying to copy to see if I could get it super close to hers and kind of just kept drawing ever since. And then uh, my older sister, my older brother showed me some pointers and um, basically got annoyed that I surpassed them when I got to high school. <laughs> my older sister taught me like proportions and kind of human anatomy. And then my older brother taught me in true boy fashion, how to do muscles and guns. <laughs> I remember you and I both went to Taos high school in Northern New Mexico. And I remember I was on the poetry we were in the poetry class together and I would write the poetry and you would make the illustrations <laughs> for our <laughs> chat books. Um, and I was like, always like, oh, gosh, dang, this girl can draw. Um, <laughs> but yeah, check out Christina's. What's your social media again? Uh, or how do you like people to see your art? Uh, my social media is good on Instagram. It's Napeshicha. So N-A-P-E-S-I-C-A, which is actually bad hand in Lakota. Right, not Basicha. So, yeah, check her out. Um, so one of the questions I had was, and this is maybe a esoteric question, but like, what is your philosophy of art? Like, why do we do it? What is it? You know, why do you do it? And and how do you embody your philosophy of art in your drawings? Ooh, I'd say that's a big question. Um, I actually talked a little bit on this with other projects. Uh. I, I like to say that it's kind of a part of just artists like soul to draw and to create art. You can't really like stop it. It comes out in some way, even if it's not illustration or painting or beadwork or there's just like a creative aspect to people that it always comes out. Um, and it's, it's at the basis of every society. If you really look at it, like we wouldn't have, graphic design and architecture without having that artistic side of things. And we wouldn't have 
colors and paint and basically just everything that revolves around our society is visual based. So it's all like art based. But I also like to say that artists aren't batteries. And a lot of the times people use them as such where um, they're really at the center of all of these things in our society that help us move forward. But people don't always acknowledge that. And they tend to use artists to better whatever project they're working on. And then they kind of discard the artist. So I really look at them as like the the battery analogy. Um, I, I tend to really bring in that philosophy and like my art with my drawing and I actually got um burned out pretty bad I was a freelance artist for about two years and uh doing a lot of the projects that I wasn't necessarily passionate about really burned me out and kind of stopped me from drawing for a bit but then that's actually when I got into the realm of education and doing more um student-based projects and actually kind of reinvigorated me and I was able to kind of realize my creativity um, through helping students. And I worked for Jeffco Indian Education for about six years and um, Pop Culture Classroom. And I'm a teaching artist with Think360. And I've always just kind of found that like cultivating and supporting young artists really just help bring that spark back anytime that I am burned out or anytime that I question, you know, what it is to be an artist and the successfulness of being an artist. I'm able to kind of support those students and help them move to different points in their career. Um, and I feel like it's all interconnected, you know, very <laughs> Lakota philosophy. Everything is uh, connected and everything feeds into each other. So even within my own artwork, I see the same themes whenever I'm doing artist talks or classes or organizing community events or things like that. It's, it's all a form of art in my opinion. <laughs> right. As a poet, I've often said, like, everything is poetry. It's just that some of it is really bad poetry. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, everything we do is, like, we have this pen to write anything. And I'm, I also write bad poetry. I'm not saying, like, oh, like, like, when I'm yelling at my grandma, because I'm irritated because she asked me the same question five times in the same hour. I'm yelling out really bad poetry to her when I could be writing something more patient, something more compassionate, something more kind. Um, yeah, but I could imagine, you know, as an artist, people often say like starving artist or how are you going to, you know, turn that into a career? And then I could imagine once artists finally are quote unquote successful and getting paid and da da da, that, that, they could almost be willing to be that battery, right? Because it's like, hey, I'm getting paid or like, hey, I'm, I, I made it, you know? But then it's like, it, maybe they deserve even like a step higher than even that of just, you know, becoming a career artist, but to be truly cherished by our society and cared for. So um, yeah, that's a, I mean, yeah. I like to think of it as not using artists as batteries, but using them as a heartbeat. Mm. And right now, our right now the norm is to do the the battery, you know, something that's powers and then is disposable, mm. versus something that actually continues to empower and continues to sustain. Yes, honoring it as essential as life giving. Mm -hmm. mm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, what are you trying to achieve with your art? Um, I know that's also a big question, but feel free to expand on it in as many directions as you want. Yeah, uh, I think the big thing for me is always connection. Uh, I think just connection in general is really important. That was kind of the theme behind why we created Icon, And as I mentioned, Lakota philosophy there, everything is interrelated and connected. Um, and it all kind of moves into each other. So I, I really tend to focus on that connection and like when I'm teaching it's usually like intent meaning and impact so you can have really really good intentions but if you don't understand the meanings of things your impact's going to be really negative and so with my own artwork and anytime I'm doing anything really is to think of that like if you have great intentions but you don't do your research or you don't understand the meaning of what you are 
working with. So example, if you're like doing a cultural comic with a native community, but you don't know anything about that native community and you aren't connected to that community and you don't have like time in that community, you can very easily misrepresent in whatever it is you're creating. And so you're missing that meaning aspect. And so then what you create could come out being very negative because you don't spend time there. You're not actually immersed in it. Um, and I, I do that with my own artwork. Um, anytime I do comic books or anytime I do logo designs, my logo designs are kind of like little storytelling things themselves because anytime someone asks me to do a logo, I go really like deep dive into what their organization is and what they're trying to say and who they are and how I might show that in their logo. So for the American Indian Academy um, of Denver, the logo I did was a turtle with Denver on its back because all of their STEM-based philosophy was about Turtle Island and everything um, and about indigenous STEM. And so it was a turtle with Denver on the back and then it had um, ribbon work from the tribe that their founder was around the turtle and everything. So there, there was a lot of like thought process that went into that logo. Um, and I do that with pretty much all the logos that I've done. So like Jeffco Indian Education, I did their logo as well. And it was four pencils kind of going in like a circle to make a medicine wheel. And each pencil was like a different color of the four directions. And then it was made to look like a Lakota shield because our students were warriors. And then um, each of the feathers was to represent the different accomplishments of each student as we get them from grade school to graduation. Um, so I do a lot of research into all of that, but I definitely didn't always start out that way. Uh, when I did a, a Polynesian take on Beauty and the Beast called Cowie, the first time I released it, it was a single issue comic and I did not do my research and it was Polynesian like inspired Beauty and the Beast not understanding what I was really working with because this was fresh out of college and I just had this cool idea and I was like oh I'm gonna do this so then did the single issue comic and got a lot of negative feedback from um, some of my Polynesian friends and they were in Hawaiian and they were just kind of like uh this was a little bit like wrong in how this was represented and so I actually revisited it and I did a focus group out of Oahu and partnered with the Hawaiian artist and did a lot more research into it. And it still hasn't come out yet because we got really close um, to producing it. And then my co-artist actually passed away earlier this year suddenly. So kind of taking some time before we release that. Um, but that that lesson really taught me like why it would is so important to research and why it is important to really understand the perspective that you're trying to represent when you're creating just art in general, but especially story-based art. And if you're working with any communities that are not your own, why it's really important to build those connections and to be a part of it and have it be more of a community project than just the single artist. Right. <clears throat> I never really thought about that, frankly, just the amount of work that goes into every, all the visioning before you even pick up the, the pen or the pencil or the coloring pencil. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not an artist. <laughs> the coloring pencil. <laughs> yeah, I'm I mean, not an artist, but the paintbrush, you know. <laughs> the research phase is like one of my favorite parts, though, because then I, I feel like you really get to like learn new things and then like there's like a whole other level of connection that comes with the project when it, when you understand what you're saying <laughs> you know yeah. not just when it's not just a a pretty butterfly like when it actually has like thought process and like emotion and meaning behind it then there's just like so much more of a connection that's a part of that um that it's also just gives a whole other level of like confidence because you're like, yeah, this is exactly what I'm trying to say. And this is like where I got the idea and where I found connections and synergies from other like sources. And like, this is the story I'm trying to say. And then you see what other people take from that um, and what they 
what meaning they put into it themselves when they see it. Because everybody has a different perspective based on the culture and place that you're coming from. And so, and sometimes it's kind of funny because when you do that, like the synergies are like crazy. Like people can pick up on the theme without you even explaining it because they just like feel it. Wow. <clears throat> That's really fascinating to me because coming from an, a non-visual artist background, I'm, um, yeah, it's, just, it's you're just opening my mind to so many things I didn't think about. Because usually, as a as a viewer of art, I'm just like, oh, that's cool, you know. And you don't. Really, <laughs> and and as a musician, you know, some people are like, how long did that take you to write that song? And mm -hmm. I'm like, well, it took me like 33 years, you know, because I had to live this life. I had to go through these experiences. I had to be where I was at the moment that I wrote the song, and that's you know, that took a long time to go through everything or, you know, even if it wasn't 33 years, but like, you know, I had to, I had to run for office and get like annihilated with slander in order to write this song. You know, like there's mm -hmm. so much, there's so much you have to go through and then like go to the depths of whatever and then write the song. So that, that makes sense in that regard of like, it didn't just take me the time it took to write, to draw this thing. It took me the research and the, yeah. So that's beautiful. Um, you talk a little bit about representation um, of indigenous folks within the art scene, within art itself. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the work you're trying to achieve with your art in that realm? Yeah, uh, it's, it's actually kind of funny. Um, when I was in high school, I actually drew a lot more anime and Japanese-based <laughs> things. And uh, the purpose of that actually was because I didn't want to be put in a box. Um, I, I think at that time, you know, living in New Mexico, the standard for Native art was like very past narrative, people on horses sitting in the plains looking very stoic <laughs> like there wasn't really anything that was like exciting about native art to me when I was in high school um and it wasn't until I got out of high school that I kind of realized um it, like towards the end of high school I actually started to realize the problem with that within like my, my own perception of native art because I had seen you know a for the most part, when people said it, it was like stuff I'd seen in museums, but then I had uncles and aunties and people who did Native artwork that was not like the past narrative, like kind of museum or tourist shop. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, my, my uncle Marvin is an amazing artist and his stuff was always like so interesting because it was just a bunch of different like shapes that would go together and then when you looked at them they were like silhouettes of horses that played into like scenery and eagles and it was just like really cool how he would always set up his artwork and um I would always see his things and then like my grandma Judy who wasn't actually um she wasn't actually Native American but you know she was part of the um part of our community and kind of had been adopted in through a Hunka ceremony and she had a really interesting style of artwork that was watercolor and heavily influenced. But um, all of that I didn't really like think of as Native art until I got into like my last year of high school. And then I had a project that was supposed to be um, your own version of Ro Romeo and Juliet. And uh, I decided to do a crow woman with or a crow man with a Lakota woman due to like the history of the two tribes and um, how right. they would kind of war. And that was actually really like the start of why I started working on like indigenous fairy tales and kind of where I started to go with comic books. Um, and I, I grew up reading comics and being really interested in comics. And actually, like, that's part of the reason I loved Wolverine as a kid was because in one of the Wolverine issues, he actually fights Unshagula. And it says in the little captions that he's speaking Lakota. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like a superhero that's like speaking my language. 
And uh, my husband actually got me those comics recently. And oh my God, they're so bad. <laughs> they're so terrible. Um, <laughs> but, like really, really bad representation wise. But, you know, they did what they were supposed to do when I was a kid because I was like. Yeah, at the, the time they had their purpose. <laughs> exactly. And now both of us are like, we're going to rewrite the story. So eventually we plan to redo the story because <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> but you know they had they had an interesting idea where they were going with it um and that and then elf quest had like this really cool it was elves but it had this like deep connection to like indigenous knowledge that i just latched onto and i i like loved and all of the and i would see like other native superheroes in like marvel that were super stereotypical and then out of high school, coming to college, I started to do more actually like thinking about Native art and incorporating it more with kind of my own interests. Um, and that's when I started, I created my Lakota playing cards and I did the comic books and started working for Pop Culture Classroom and really looking at like deep dives into Native superheroes and how they've evolved over the years because in like marvel we have danny moonstar and she starts out super super stereotypical because she's got like fringe and feathers and she talks to animals <laughs> and it's like you know the classic right. kind of pocahontas syndrome but then right. as time has gone on her character is badass like she's a weapon specialist she was a valkyrie in thor's world at one point and um she's just a really great character now and in that time span, they also created a character named Echo um, out of Daredevil. And she was by far like my favorite Marvel character because she's she's deaf. And so her her like ability is to mimic. And um, she's a dancer and like a concert pianist, even though she was like deaf. And just the way they wrote her character was so well done. They put a lot of like thought into even her superhero outfit, you know, like. She had a symbol from her tribe on her shirt, and then she had a, a handprint on her face, which wasn't just, like, meaningless war paint or, like, you know, them being like, oh, it's a native superhero. Let's just stick some war paint on her. The handprint actually represented uh, a ghost print of her dad, which was her main driving force for why she became a superhero. Like, he touched her face when he lay dying with his bloody hand, and so then she put a white handprint on her face to remind her that that's why she was a superhero was to avenge him. And I was like, there you go. That's how our community functions. <laughs> like that, that's really like something that we can relate to. Cause that's, that's the thought process behind our communities. Um, and yeah, she's, she's just an amazing character. So all of those characters I started to really study into. And then in 2015, I was volunteering at uh, Denver Comic-Con in the Kids Corral. And that was really like, uh, or actually, that, that was actually 2013. But then um, I was on my way to the restroom and I stopped by a booth that said Native Comic Book Artists. And I was like, what? Who's like, tell me about this. And that was uh, Lee Francis. And he was saying that they were doing a Native Comic Book Company. And I was like, oh, I'm a Native Comic Artist. And he's like, great, we want you. So then I came back and brought my portfolio and then I started working with them and um doing more around like the idea of native comics and independent and independently created native comics so that was indigenous narrative collective which then turned into native realities and uh published a, a few things like tales of the mighty code talkers and um I got to meet arrogant star who does super indian and that was really like the rise of the native comic book like I guess era <laughs> so then we have all these great native comic artists that have really started creating their own comics at that point and then right after um after all of that in 2016 uh Lee started the indigenous comic-con in Albuquerque and then we kind of went from there and brought it here to Denver um in 2019 I they John Nelson actually was saying he wanted to bring it here. So then I, I had arranged for Lee to come up to present to the commission. And then he presented it. Everybody loved the idea. And then they were like, okay, Christina's in charge. And so I got voluntold to be in charge 
of the <laughs> and direct that first one. So that was 2019. We did Indigenous Pop X, um, and it went pretty good. Uh, and then my husband and I were kind of talking about Iacon at that point, um, and what we would like to do a little bit different from Indigipop. Um, because the indigenous con has its own like vibe and it's really, it's really amazing the way it is. But one of the things that's always been a driving force for me and possibly because of who my dad is, is I noticed like you can't really make too much of like an impact when you're presenting to your own community. And you have to also have this mindset of like sharing and that's always a hard thing with our communities because of how used we are to people like taking advantage of that. But, um, right. You know, people don't register that there are as many tribes as there are in the U S if you're constantly talking to the same group in the powwows, it's right. like, we really wanted to have Iacon be a space where we could celebrate indigeneity and celebrate North American indigenous people, but also, invite people to celebrate with us so that they're learning perspectives that they didn't even register as a thing. Um, because most of the people that attended this past uh, weekend were like, well, I didn't know if I was going to belong. And like, they kind of felt like if it has the word indigenous in it, it's only for indigenous people and mm -hmm. that they aren't welcome to join in or to ask questions or to, you know, experience anything and and usually mm -hmm. they're in that space of like the spectator when they're in powwows but um with iacon we really wanted it to be like them selling next to artists that are from taos pueblo or from like canada or from minnesota like all of these different artists that are yeah. in their own practices and doing like their own stories that they wouldn't have even come across if they hadn't been just placed next to each other in this festival and realizing that not every tribe is Navajo or Lakota. <laughs> there's, there's so many others, you know? Yeah. yeah. So you said because of who your dad is, what do you mean by that? Like, was he someone who was trying to like share? I mean, Lakota people in general are extremely generous to you know, mitakwe oyasi, and to all, to all people, right? Like, mm -hmm. the open their ceremonies, and they're very diplomatic, and they're very, like, both inward and outward facing all the times. But, but yeah, what did you mean by that? Like, um, by your, uh, like, where you got that inspiration to be, to sort of connect with, with all people? Yeah, um, well, so my dad's always said that, like, we're not the culture police, and um, not to really wear things like that on your sleeve because we don't actually own our ceremonies. We don't actually own like our culture. It's something that we're like, that is meant to like share and breathe. And um, because of that with his Sundance, he's very open to anybody really joining in and being a part of it. So like when I was growing up, we'd go to Hellahorn Bear Sundance and everybody would joke that my dad's camp was the international camp. <laughs> so like he'd have the, the different camps um, that all the Sundance leaders would have. And then my dad's was like up on a hill and uh, it was literally like the international camp. We had people from like Greece. We had people from Germany. Um, we had all kinds of like people just wanting to know about Sundance that would be in that camp. So it was very diverse and multicultural up there. Um, and then they would participate in like Sundance ceremonies, which is usually like a lot more, um, like guarded or closed as far as most communities go. And there's definitely reasons for that. Um, but that's kind of what I grew up with is that's how he's always kind of handled his Sundance is he, anybody who wanted to know, he would just answer their questions and um, welcome them in to participate and to basically be a part of it. And there's definitely like pros and cons to that because there have been some people that have like participated in Sundance that I'm like, whoa, that was like really offensive, but cool. <laughs> Glad that you're like wanting to participate. Maybe we have a conversation about why that was not okay. Um, 
but that's just how he's always always been like um as far as i remember like i've definitely heard from some people that he growing up was like not in that space and then he just kind of got to this point where he was like no I'm, I'm not the culture police like i'm i'm here to share culture with people and if we don't share our cultures they die and so that's just been a big part of like my upbringing yeah and there's other native nations who are on the exact opposite side of the spectrum and mm-hmm. Like you said, there's reasons for that, and each has their own methodology of of processing and and battling, frankly, like colonization and stuff. And so, um, I think there's beauty in all approaches, you know. And <clears throat> I definitely have noticed, having visited a lot of Native nations, how generous Lakota and how brave they are. And and because of that, like you said, like how much more effort and labor has to go into things sometimes, but, um, (laughs) there, there is rewards in it, right? There is alliances that are formed and there is, um, a grace along with that. That's very beautiful. Um, and yeah, actually my mom was just saying that one of our elders used to say, you know, let's pray for the Lakota because, and he, he was a Diné elder. He said, let's pray for the Lakota because they're one of the ones who have stepped forward to, to open their, hearts to the world um and so let's pray for them you know like let's (laughs) let's stand behind them you know um yeah yeah so anyways um okay so going back to iacon this is uh in uh, and like you said it's not just for indigenous people but it's like from the heart of indigeneity uh comic book conference um i'll be i'll be honest i've never been to a con anything con in my life Mm -hmm. so I you might have to educate some of us as listeners like what is a con like what do you do um but let's start with like the name Iacon why did you name it that um yeah so it just means uh Aya means to change or to become so the thought process behind that was really like becoming in this place where we could share these things um and connect over fandoms, but also, like, really just celebrate our differences, but also, like, connect over the things that make us similar. And, um, obviously, I'm a nerd, so I've been to many (laughs) Comic-Cons. But, you know, one of the coolest things about Comic-Cons is, like, everybody from different walks of life kind of connecting over, like, these things that are, like, fandoms. So, like, connecting with certain comic characters or movies or things that actually um, speak to them in different ways. And so uh, with Iacon, we wanted to kind of expand it. It's actually a comic and arts festival. Um, So it is, it's still a conference, but we really look at it as like a festival because we didn't really draw the line on what art could be there. So oftentimes when you have like a Comic-Con, it's, usually like only illustration or like prints or things instead we wanted it to be more open to all different art forms so we'd have performers and all kinds of different things happening yeah and so yeah so it really like expanding on what art meant and uh on what it is to be like an arts festival And yeah, that's really just changing that mindset and changing the mindset of like what it is also to be an artist community because so many times people are competing against each other. And that's especially true in Comic-Cons and in festivals because you're in your vendor booth and you need to make money to make up for the gas and for the fee that it was to get into the festival and so there's kind of this like space of even if you're being friendly with people you're in competition against them Uh uh-huh and we really wanted to change that um we wanted it to be more of like a place where you come to build connections and to build network and to have conversations with the person next to you and about like your different practices and about your different goals and how 
you might approach it differently. And then that way you have like this strong artist uh, connection and network where if someone comes up with something that they present to you and it's not in your skill set, you can be like, oh, hey, I met this person at Iacon, hit them up. And then you kind of share the love that way. And it creates a real community in that sense of being able to share those opportunities and being able to like suggest somebody if you are booked, you know, ideally it would be like, I have too many projects and I can't take this one on. However, like here's this person I met who's amazing at Iacon, here's their Instagram, go hit them up and then it gets somebody else work in that way. So really that's the, the idea of to change or to become was really to like become a community. Wow. <clears throat> so you basically Lakota eyes the whole Comic-Con infrastructure. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, let's all work together in a circle instead of being against each other. Um, no, and, and, and including different art. Did you have music there? We did. We had every art form. It was a, it was a very diverse show. We literally yeah. had like beadwork ribbon skirt work we had um like augmented reality robots performances of like all different genres of music um we had woodwork like yeah it was wow. it was literally like every art form <laughs> oh my god it sounds fantastic um and so how many too actually <laughs> Ooh. where was it in denver and how many people came so it was at the McNichols uh, Civic Center building and at the Denver Art Museum. And um, I had about 100 vendors. Um, we had a little bit more, but due to some travel and everything, there was some last minute cancellations, which always happen with festivals. So that's definitely one of the things that we've been thinking about how we might approach for next year. But attendee-wise, on Saturday, we had 900 people come through. Holy moly, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Okay, so what do you guys have a website? How and when is the next one? Our website's iacondenver.art. And um the next one will be next uh year 2024. We're actually talking about having it be more in the fall. So I think yeah. one of the one of the things we learned with Indigenous Pop X in 2019 was July didn't work because we conflicted with people's ceremonies and powwows. Um, and this year we learned that June doesn't really work because then we conflict with graduations and weddings. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we kind of been talking about early October for next year because um, we're in this like that spot seems to be the sweet spot because we do have some friends that are doing conventions that are in September and, you know, like feast days are usually in September. You don't want to be too far in October because then you get closer to Halloween and to all of those things. So right now we're really looking at that first weekend of October and um, possibly separating the fashion show from the festivals. So this year we finished it all off with a big, fashion show at the end of the um, whole weekend, which was amazing. But definitely I was like, what is wrong with me? Why did I decide to do a fashion show on the very last day of my conference? <laughs> it, was like, <laughs> it, was, it was like, you know, just everybody was like heading over and it was just kind of my first time putting on a fashion show. So yeah, it was just like, this was crazy, but it came out great. Like nobody saw the crazy part. So I guess I did that right. Everybody was like, oh, that was amazing. It was so well, well organized. And I'm like looking at them like, really? Because <laughs> <laughs> it felt crazy on this end. Um, but, you know, we we had a, a drag show to open it up. And then we had the fashion showcase part. And then it ended with a black light powwow. Um, what? And yeah, it was black pretty light cool. Black powwow? Yeah, so um, so the big thing with uh, which I'm really grateful for with Iacon, like we definitely could have had more foot traffic and like a smoother transition between the two spaces because I think it was difficult in both like like different buildings, and the walk did not seem that big when I tested it out before. But then after that first day, after I had walked it like four times, I was like, "Whew, this was a bad idea." <laughs> like got tired of it. Um, so we'll definitely yeah. keep it in one building next time, but, uh, 
the big thing for the whole weekend that we wanted was for people to come away with connections and to come away feeling heard and um, like they had a good experience and were able to meet other artists and meet new like attendees and kind of get some exposure that they weren't used to. And that's really the feedback that we've gotten. All of our vendors have been really happy about meeting new people and meeting the celebrity guests that we had, being able to like have cool experiences with them and then continue on into doing projects because with all of these like festivals and things that people do, it's so often that it happens and then like there's nothing until the next festival. There is mm-hmm. no like continued growth. And that's really something that I wanted to focus on with Icon is it's kind of a jumping off point. And the purpose of it is for there to be engagement throughout the year, not just when we have a festival. And that's really what's happened. So I have several artists that were there um, that are continuing to do programming at the art museum because of connections they made at Icon. And um people did the same like you know the the vendors met other vendors and they're working together on projects and like the celebrity guests we had managed to make connections and they're doing like commissions for people and so there's actual work that comes outside of just that festival setting um so I'm really we were very successful in that sense and I'm really happy that that continued on and I do a novice artist program as a part of the festival that is for artists who are aspiring um, and wanting to do art in some way, whatever their practice looks like, and they've maybe been too afraid or felt like they didn't have the money or the ability to like jump out there. So that's this year we had 16 of them. And again, they ranged in all different types of practices from beadwork to illustration to sculpture. And um, they get a free table and some professional development And that way they can kind of test the waters and see if they want to continue tabling at conventions or if they wanted to talk to some of the partners that I had there about being in studio arts or being a teaching artist or being more of an exhibition type of artist that is a part of like the things that we do at the museum um, or game design. And uh, a lot of them have kind of made connections from that weekend and are moving on to do new things. So I'm super excited that all of that accomplished the, the way I had hoped. <laughs> yeah, no, congratulations. It sounds like a super successful outcome in so many different senses of the word. Um, so, you know, the you could have chose so many different platforms in life, right? Like you could have gone into academia you could have gone into um, science. You could have gone into literature. Um, you could have gone into just corporate entrepreneurship or whatever. You could have, like, why did you choose this platform of the Comic Con conference slash, you know, uh, the comic world? Like, what? Why is that your weapon of choice, so to speak? Um. Again, because I'm a nerd. (laughs) Uh, I would actually say it's because, you know, I do, I do have contacts in all of those fields. um, And I've been in the room with all of those people and it's always great. But as the shy girl who sat in the back of the class drawing anime most of my life, (laughs) you know, like, I, there's something to be said for the people who are brilliant in ways that are connected to fandoms and are connected to all of these like pop culture things that people don't register as being an art form or as being just as important because people connect in fandom in so many different ways. And a fandom is like a character that everyone's a fan of. Um, fandom is actually that can mean whether you're a fan of anything, like literally there's sports okay, fandom. Okay. Got um, it, got it, got it. Fandom is just when you when you connect with other fans over something that just speaks to you. You know, it's like people who build generational connections over Star Trek. I'm I'm one of those. My mom had the Enterprise as a phone <laughs> when I was growing up. <laughs> and uh 
you know, she, she kind of jokes about like, oh, I don't know where you got all this stuff from. And I'm like, you showed me Alien when I was five. <laughs> Which she, she likes to argue because it was definitely not the best parenting moment because that was like terrifying. <laughs> it's like one of the scariest <laughs> movies ever. Um, but, you know, like she she was actually really into sci-fi when I was growing up. She loved Alien. She loved Predators and Star Trek and Nightmare Before Christmas. And those are like things that she found really cool that I would kind of be able to connect with my mom about. And that it's that way with a lot of fan families, you know, people who connect over Harry Potter because their mom liked Harry Potter or Star Wars. Star Wars is a really, really big one in our native communities. <laughs> like it's definitely right. a huge one. Um, and it's so kind speaking, of interesting. Yeah. Like uh, it's interesting with Star Wars. Like I, I literally have a whole presentation on the connections that people draw on Star Wars from like Leia's hairstyle from Mexican Revolution and Hopi women. Like there's a lot of synergies between native culture and the rebels in Star Wars. And there's a lot of little things that people latch onto and kind of see themselves represented in, even if it's not one of our stories. And that caused a lot of people to kind of have like, this connection and this like twist on Star Wars. So you'll see like fully beaded Darth Vader helmets and like pottery style um, R2-D2s and like, you know, Navajo Ray cosplays where people dress up as the character of Ray, but did like a, a take on it to represent Navajo culture. And there's, there's like such a big connection there. And it's very similar to like how we all connect over like the experiences we have at powwows. It's kind of the same when you have these characters that just speak to you. Like, you know, you see yourself represented or you just feel this connection with that character and that story. And so my big thing has always been to celebrate that. Like growing up, I was kind of shamed for being a girl who was into comic books and, you know, being the nerdy kid in class. Um but why not be able to celebrate that aspect? And especially now that we're in the time of Marvel movies where everybody sees Marvel and knows these characters so like commonly that they actually can like wear a Thor t-shirt and be like, oh yeah, it's because I watched Thor. And meanwhile, like 30 years ago, that would have been that person gets teased because like who watches Thor? <laughs> like that's, <laughs> you know, it's changed to be now Dungeons and Dragons is like a common household thing. When, when I was in, when I was 14, it was like, if you played Dungeons and Dragons, you were a nerd and you were about to get your butt kicked. Right. So, right. Uh, all of those things are like, they've kind of come to a space where people aren't ashamed to like them anymore. And so that's what we want to, continue to encourage we want people to be encouraged to like the things that they like and to use those avenues as ways to build connection and to develop the careers that they want and to do the artwork that they want and really just express themselves in ways without feeling shame mm, yes yes and so like right now I, I was watching Marvel I, I watch a lot of Marvel actually I get a lot of um and dc i know people are like dc is not good you know whatever but i i really resonated with the aquaman guy right because he was half land half <laughs> ocean and i'm <laughs> like half white half native and he has this like warring size da, 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 and where he doesn't belong anywhere <clears throat> and um so anyways i i find a, i draw a lot of uh shang chi the the legend <laughs> of the ten rings that yeah. movie that movie like woke me up in this really <laughs> deep way where I, you know, I had just gone off my political campaign and I was really uh, downtrodden and I didn't know how to stand back up and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't see a reason. And I swear that movie was like a pivotal moment for me where I was like reminded to release shame, reminded to um, that the battle is real, you know, that this is not just that there really are lives in the balance right now, you know, and I, I am needed, you know, and I kind of stood back up. Um, but I always thought to myself, like, where is the indigenous full length feature Marvel film 
like, you know, they've checked all the boxes, right? But like, where are we? And then you were quick to to tell me that Echo has a new series out. You know, do you know the process? Uh, you know, what 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 program is Echo playing on? Is it Hulu? Is it Netflix or whatever? And then like, were there indigenous people who created these this series? Were they in the drawing room? Were they in the boardroom? Were they at the table to create this? Do you know those details? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Echo's not out yet. It's coming out and it'll be on Disney Plus. Um, and there were definitely people in the creation of Echo as a comic character. And then in the creation of her series, like, I don't know if you've seen Hawkeye on Disney Plus, but that's where you can see the debut of Echo um, on the screen. And uh, it is, she is played by a native actress, Alakwa Cox. And they actually did a really cool thing with her because Alakwa um, has a prosthetic leg. And so they actually added that into Echo's story. And so um, that became a part of her character. And then Zahn McLaren plays her father. There's a lot of really good, um, like, conversation and stuff that have happened into bringing Echo onto the big screen. And uh, you can see her in Hawkeye is when she first makes her kind of appearance. But then she has her own series coming out. And they actually did a call um, traveling around the U.S. for community members to be a part of Echo. So they did a call for powwow dancers. They did a call for, like, Native Res community members just to, like, have more people that are our, our normal people as a part of that show. So, um for like a full year there, they were traveling around and asking for powwow singers, powwow dancers, just like people who wanted to be extras, um, who wanted to be in showing like a part of Echo's community. And I'm really excited for what they do with the series. Um, and when, when we see it, it was supposed to come out this June, but now it's coming out in November. Uh, but I definitely, I hear you in terms of like the movie. I'm still waiting for like a native Wakanda. <laughs> like, you know, uh, Black Panther was so amazing. And then Wakanda Forever was great um, when we got to see, like, Talo Khan and the the spin that they put on Namor, like, having him be Namor. Like, it's such a good take on everything. My only critique with that whole thing was I felt like his world was too dark. I wanted to see, like... I wanted to see it, you know? It was deep in the ocean and kind of, like, in the shadows... So we didn't really get to see all of the details that they really put into those buildings and that they put into the clothing and how they reached out to like Mexican artists and like Mexica artists, anybody who really identified with that um, culture. They reached out to them to do all of these amazing set designs and costume designs and collaborated with them. But because of like the fact that it was deep in the ocean and they didn't want to compete with like DC they didn't really put as n enough light in that picture, like that whole scene for me. I was like, come on, like th this, these people, you're telling me they can't have like mini suns everywhere so we can see like all of the amazingness that this like, that this movie did because just the soundtrack, all of it was like beautiful. But th that scene where you get to see where they're from was just so dark. And that's like my one critique. I wanted it to be like way more brought into the light so that we could see this like indigenous futurism's take on you know the branding of like it, it's not Atlantis it's Talokan and like just the the way that they did that story and how it fits so perfect I wanted to see it like illuminated and it was a little bit dark but um I'm I'm like waiting for us to get like a you know a full-blown native comic hero because we've got Camilla Khan now that they did uh the series of Miss Marvel and then like she's going to be in the Marvels so we're starting to see a lot more cultures represented but um we kind of have yet to see you know Native American people in that light and I feel like uh Echo is going to do a pretty good job of it but it's it's a series like the closest we probably have is uh in New Mutants, Danny Moonstar is the main character. But even then, um, 
it was good the way they handled it. It wasn't really the comic Danny though. And uh, they did it a little bit more still playing to the tropes of, you know, the Indian curse. And uh, right. I right. was like, I was like stepping stones. We're getting there, but I, I would love to see like something big. That's not avatar. Cause I have so many problems <laughs> with avatar. I, I'm like very against and and not Avatar Last Airbender, because Avatar Last Airbender is going to be amazing. They actually have native actors cast to play Katara and Sokka and all of the Water Tribe people. So that's going to be amazing on Netflix. But I mean, like, Avatar James Cameron, I am, like, very against because of the words that he's used in terms of, like, specifically saying that Lakota people, he did the Avatar series because he felt like... This is what it would be if Lakota people had fought harder and, like, didn't all die out due to suicide and drug use. So that was great. Um, After he made that statement, I was was like, I refuse. Yeah, I refuse to support him. And then I did. I watched Way of the Water when it came to free streaming because I was like, well, I should probably know what I'm hating on, you know. And uh I didn't make it halfway through the movie. I actually like <laughs> I actually stopped watching at the point where like the Jake apologizes for Natiri to other Navi and it's like I'm sorry for my mate and then he mansplains. Like and then you turn it off. <laughs> it, yeah, I was I was just done. <laughs> like, my my husband and my roommate were cracking up at me because I was like, nope. Nope, I'm done. He just like totally apologized <laughs> for her. And it was like, it was just so great. It was so cringy. And then, you know, because he's now this like avatar, he talks like all fire water, you know, like it's suddenly the sky people instead of the humans. And like, just he talks the way I feel like a white person would talk in a native community because they wanted to belong, but weren't understanding. Like the, it's right. the whole like romanticized weirdness. The saviorism, yeah. Yes, yeah. Saviorism and, and centering, yeah. Yeah, yep. And that—that's exactly what that movie was doing. And it, after, after that line, I was like, nope, I can't, I can't watch it. <laughs> like, just, right. I'm triggered. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think there's gonna. I I think we're the last, and that that's so typical, right? Indigenous peoples. This is our. This is our home. We've been here mm-hmm. tens of thousands of years. And not that, you know, having a Marvel movie with your culture is the be-all, end-all marker of success or anything. <laughs> but, like, yeah. we are the last ones. We were, like, the last ones standing. There's been the Wakanda. There's been Shang-Chi. Of course, there's plenty of white superheroes. Um, and and we're like, okay, we're like, what's going on? You know, this is, this is, this is our time to leverage this art form of the comic hero which is taking the whole country by storm for the past decade like this is our time and this mm-hmm. is our chance to to do that in a way that we uh on our terms um just like black panther you know was of for and by black folks you know they didn't have like white authors write the thing right they had so mm-hmm. much nuance they had so much you know, just everything from that museum scene where, you know, it was so, such a nuanced uh, conversation of Black liberation built into that script. Um, but here we are now. We got um, Reservation Dogs. We got Echo. We got, um, what's that Predator uh, series? Prey. Yeah, we got Prey. So, like, we're starting to make these inroads. And I'm just like, when is the Hollywood community going to put their resources behind our pins, our our art, our our visions? Um, because it's it's beyond its past time. So yeah, um, and thankfully, like you said, we are we're seeing a lot with um, Reservation Dogs and um, Spirit Rangers on Netflix now, and Rutherford Falls and Prey. And uh, Killers of the Flower Moon just came out. They had a big premiere. Uh, and then there's like a, there's another one. Um, oh, I just forgot the name of it. It's something with Crow. Uh, but it, it's uh, about boarding schools. And I actually, I don't know if I can, I might need to like get to a better place before I watch that one. Because even from the commercial, I could tell <laughs> like this is going to wreck me. Um, mm, but yeah. like, 
you know, that that's kind of the other thing is like we do we have a really dark history in our in our country. Like we have a lot of that trauma and that pain. But I really want to see, you know, what we all experience when we're in community. I want to see the jokes. I want to see the laughter and like the bright colors and the goofing off with people and like I want to see the good side of native community yeah, and less totally. of the trauma. Totally. And we we see so much of that anytime there is like anytime there's our stories that are being uplifted, it's always commentaries on suicide and drug abuse and sexual abuse and like trauma and basically like genocide and boarding schools. And it's always all of these really dark points of our history. But like you hang out with any of us in any of our houses and it's like nothing but jokes and laughs and like like really like the laughter side of things. I'm like, why did and we are always the stoic Indian and we're always like joking with everybody and we make these beautiful outfits and like people are always laughing and like being silly in community and like it's always a good time. And you don't really see that represented in pop culture as much. Um and that's always been kind of like my big push. And the good thing with Marvel is they did actually, um, they released a comic series called Indigenous Voices. Yeah. And uh, it, yeah, it's the Marvel Indigenous Voices. And they did actually go to a lot of Native comic artists and writers for those. So you can find those um, at comic stores. And uh, they feature a lot of writers and Native comic artists that all kind of came up in like, you know, 2015. And I've been working on stuff uh, ever since, but I know like Taboo is always trying to get things done, but that, I want to see like a, a good native superhero who's like, you know, I want, I want a comedy native superhero movie. <laughs> like, yes, we yeah. can acknowledge our like, we can acknowledge the dark past and acknowledge those things, but you know, I want to see some solid jokes in there. Like, yeah. And, and like more beauty less stigma and outside of just fringe you know everybody always does the fringe and the feathers Mm -hmm. I want to see them like like really think about how our people would do an actual superhero outfit because you know like if if we're fighting crime like if you look at our war outfits you're not gonna be out there in like heavy turquoise jewelry (laughs) 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 it's just like like um, Sean Bale, actually, uh, he was at Iacon recently. We were talking about his uh, Spider Weaver character for Marvel. And, um, you know, this is kind of the other aspect is like, you know, he was asked to do this character. And then when it came down to the actual process, like, they didn't actually ask him to do much. They just like gave him a bunch of designs and were like, which one works? So he was kind of more in this like advisory space rather than being the actual designer of the character and uh he like he did a pretty good job with it and everything but it wasn't really his design like I would have loved to see his design because what they ended up coming out with is you know a spider character that has all this heavy turquoise jewelry and it always makes me laugh because I'm like okay spider man and spider women they literally like hang upside down so that squash blossom is just gonna smack her in the face like every time she does anything, but <laughs> you know, like that is hilarious. And that was maybe she his... has turquoise, like maybe she has turquoise, like embedded into her, um, you know, into her tight suit, you know, so that it doesn't it, go anywhere, it's... but she still gets all of the power and the juice from the turquoise, you know. But it's like exactly. But they put yeah. her in like this big old heavy necklace that cracks me up because I'm like, <laughs> literally, if she swings, that thing's just gonna smack her. Like it's it's like not attached. Like not I was like, I feel like if you actually gave him like free reign, you know, like exactly having like the turquoise be like embedded in the suit and maybe even having like the weave the webbing be silver because you know all of the silver smith like and having the design be more of what we see on like bracelets and jewelries, like that spider looking different, but it would still be part of a suit. Like you wouldn't have the like bouncing around of jewelry because like you know we, we're all bougie native but I don't think we go bougie native when we're fighting <laughs> like people <laughs> usually take off their earrings before they get in a fight 
<laughs> well, Christina, thank you so much for sharing your passion and your process and your visions and, and what you guys have already done. It's really eye-opening and inspiring. And like you said, artistry is not just like, oh, a cool hobby. Like it's the lifeblood of our imaginations. All of us, whether we're an artist or not, we are deeply impacted by these films, these arts, the clothing, all the design work that goes into creating our world. So I think your work is so fascinating, so important, and so much the heartbeat, like you said, of of our world. And I just want to, I want other artists who are listening to this to be inspired, to be encouraged, to continue to know that your work matters, that you are changing the world uh, through what you do. Um, and is there any questions I forgot to ask, Christina? Is there any last things you'd like to say? Uh, I'll just leave it open for one last whatever you want to say. Um, no, I think you asked all the, the questions, but the thing I would say is definitely keep an eye out for Iacon next year, uh, especially if you are an aspiring artist that wants to like figure out where you go next, if you've never tabled before and would like a table to see what it's like to do a festival, to check out our novice artist program. But even if you're just like a vendor and want to get into a really cool festival and make new connections, um, Iacon's a really great place to do that. And it doesn't matter what kind of artist you are, whether you're an illustrator, graphic designer, comic artist, performer, sculptor, beadwork, like we are open to all different forms of art and people from all different walks of life. So definitely follow us. Keep a keep an eye on Iacon. We're on Instagram, Iacon underscore Denver. And then you can always follow me, Nafeshicha, on Instagram because I tend to post pretty much everything I do. I do work for the Denver Art Museum as well and constantly working with artists. So constantly doing uh, different events and things and always looking for artists to collaborate and pull in. So just follow us on those two platforms and feel free to reach out if you ever have any questions. Yes, that's iaconDenver.art. Um, Iacon underscore Denver on Instagram. Uh, Napesicha, uh, N is in Nancy, A-P-E-S-I-C-A, which means bad hand in Lakota. That's Christina Badhand's you know, handle for all of her social media, including Instagram. And yeah, just definitely stay connected to this beautiful artistry. Um, and thank you so much, Christina, for your time. Um, I don't remember you being the shy kid in the back of the classroom. You were actually sitting on the side of the classroom. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I never thought of you as like nerdy. I was like, oh man, she's so cool. How can I get on her level? Um, but anyways, uh, it's great to be here, you know, later on in our later years, still working for our people, still working to advance the, the beauty and the message of our people. So uh, keep it up and blessings on your family, your husband, your life. And thank you for your time, sister. All right. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the time to talk and chat. <laughs> Shout out to the whole Nehije, Our Voices, Indigenous Solutions podcast team, especially Lincia Begay, our editor, Jen Miller, our social media manager, and to the Calliopeia Foundation for their generous support to make all this happen. Take good care of yourselves and have a beautiful day.